Good morning, everyone. I think we can truly say, with two meanings, welcome to a warm Sabbath day. You have a warm welcome here at church, and we're so glad to see you all. And I just want to thank our musical group and the organist and the pianist for playing for us this morning. Um, not only do we welcome you who are sitting in this auditorium, we have a special welcome for those who are visiting today. Do we have some visitors today? Maybe you might like to venture putting your name. Yes, I don't think you're a visitor, Tom. <laughs> but there are other folk who are visiting and we're so glad that you're here. Uh, and we also want to welcome the folk that are tuning in via their TVs in the village. Folk, I know someone who is not able to come today, uh, but she is watching at home. And we have people in Avondale House and in Alton Lodge, uh, and uh, they will also gain a blessing from being with us in that way today. I also want to offer a very special welcome to our speaker today, Thank you, Pastor Danny, for being with us. Uh, you were with us uh, permanently for several years, several years ago. And now Pastor Danny Milenkov is one of the two conference evangelists who roam far and wide through this large conference preaching the Word of God. I would also like at this stage to draw the attention of folk who are maybe just visiting, maybe newly here, to a nicely prepared card that is in the pew at each end and in the middle of the pews that you can pick up and turn over and fill in where it's appropriate, put your name and address if you'd like to be contacted and have a visit from one of the pastors and other contact information and uh, that can be handed in either put it in the um, offering bag as it comes to you or handed out at the deacon's uh, one of the elders or the pastors as you go out from the church and then they can look after you. So God bless each one of us here as we worship him today. Let's further praise our, and invite our Lord's presence here this morning with I Worship the Lord.
Friends, this is uh, our opportunity to together seek the Lord in prayer. And so if you are able to kneel, I would invite you to do so. But uh, as you uh, will, I pray that uh, we would come together uh, with thoughts that are focused on the one to whom we are praying. Let's pray. Our loving Father, we this morning come to you in various circumstances. Some of us are here kneeling before you. Others have adopted a reverent position according to their circumstance. Some of us, dear Father, are hearing and viewing via closed circuit television. Some are on beds of sickness. Some are feeling grief. Lord, some are suffering hardship. Some, dear Lord, are here to minister on your behalf today. But Father, we all come together in worship and in fellowship before you. Our needs are diverse, but we are so grateful to come before one who is greater than all of our need. We thank you, Father, for through this last week being near. We thank you, Lord, that you have provided, that you have sustained, that you have blessed, that you have comforted. And as we come together this morning, we ask that your spirit would inspire as you speak through your servant, Pastor Danny. Dear Father, as you work through the musicians, and as, dear Lord, we come to you, I pray that you would anoint our service with the power of your presence, with a message that speaks to us personally, but particularly may also bring conviction that we may respond to the promptings of your spirit, not because we can, but because you are able to make it possible as we look to you for enabling power. Father, we want to acknowledge that we live in an increasingly challenging world, both within this body of Jesus and without. We humbly pray that we would not be deterred from that very great commission that you have given us. For your purpose, dear Father, in sending Jesus was the salvation of humanity and then his return for final deliverance. We are between those two points in time and surely, dear Father, as the first has been accomplished, the, soon, the second will soon take place. Prepare us, we ask, dear Father, for that time. Let us bring honour to your name and blessing to our, each other and especially, dear Lord, our neighbours who need yet to know you. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. We do have opportunity to further worship through giving of tithes and offerings this morning. And you will notice from our bulletin that the offering today is for the local church. I would just like to, I guess, remind all of us that it is not so much about the church structure only, but rather it is about our presence in the community and the capacity that we have to be an influence on those around us. So thank you for your willingness to participate this morning and I am going to invite the deacons to stand as we prepare to take up the offering. I'd also like to say to the children that this is an opportunity for you to come also very quietly to the front of the church for the children's story will follow straight after this. Shall we pray together? Our dear Father, we honour you this morning as the one who has made a way that we might function as a church, not only, dear Father, as the body, as people, as believers, 
but also to have the resources to do what needs to be done. So we pray that you would bless, dear Father, these gifts, these offerings and the tithes that um, you may be able, dear Father, to use us in ways most effective, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.
much for that, John. A beautiful piece indeed. Could listen to that all day. What about you? Such a beautiful gift that God has given to him. And um, we were blessed in Sabbath school to hear him once again share the beautiful item, Raise Me Up. And that was so beautiful to hear. Thank you so much, Joy, for your wonderful children's story. I felt homesick for Africa. I've been blessed uh, since 2012 to go a number of times to Africa. And um, yeah, the animals are beautiful. The people are beautiful. Uh, There is such a hunger and a desire for God and spiritual things. It's like being in Disneyland. I tell my wife I need to go for rehab to Africa once a year at least. Just to just to get everything right again in my mind and in my heart, and it's such a a blessing to go there. Thank you for that wonderful story. Thank you for your welcome, Bill. Uh, It's good to be here again after four years. Um, On a Sabbath morning was the last time I was here, I think, when when I moved on from Memorial Church and spending three wonderful years here with many of you. I was here uh, a few weeks ago, I guess, uh, for the 3ABN weekend and uh, that homecoming, and that was such a blessing. Um, a lot more comfortable this morning than I was that Thursday evening. There's a, there was a clock up there, and I hate clocks. And there was a timer telling me how long I had, and I just hate that. So I praise the Lord that there are no timers and the clock doesn't work. Just praise the Lord for that. No, it actually does work. <laughs> It's good to be here, and um, and I want to thank Pastor Abel um, for giving me the invitation. Uh, right at the beginning of the year, he invited me to come along if I was able to, and I said, yes, I'd love to, and um, haven't had an opportunity up until now. Been pretty busy this year thus far, um, running around the conference, as was mentioned, uh, conducting evangelistic programs in different places. That's been enjoyable. It's been a challenge. It's been a great learning experience. But I have missed um, not having a church home. I've been homeless. Um, So that's been a little bit tough, but I'm kind of getting used to it. However, my wife has really been blessed, and she's here, and I told her I'm only going to say positive things when I speak of her. And after 24 years of marriage, you'll learn that that is the safest way to go. It's best for your health in every aspect to only speak positively of your wife. It's been a real blessing for her. Um, and I know she won't mind me saying that, in that when I was given this new role this year, usually when the president rings up or the president visits um, and asks you, you know, what do you think about next year? You're always nervous about having to move house and shift, and that's just part of ministry. But the greatest blessing for my wife was when the president told me that I had a new job this year, well, there were two blessings. Number one, she didn't have to move from home. She could stay where she was. And secondly, she wouldn't have to see as much of me as she had. So she's been doubly blessed. Not to mention, she's got a new job and she loves her job this year there at the Avondale School. So, um, yeah, it's good to be here and... um, You are blessed to have a wonderful pastoral team. I know Pastor Abel really well and Pastor Stephen and his wife, Pastor Susan. And um, yeah, it's so wonderful to to be here. I also just want to welcome those who are visiting um, online or those who are visiting in Kurumbong, wherever you may be watching. Uh, May God bless you. Where's the camera up there somewhere? Haven't been here for so long, I've forgotten. And um, yeah, those who are visiting. I want to especially welcome my friend Glenn. My friend Glenn came with me to church today. We've just started Bible studies. He lives in Kurumbong, and he hasn't been to this church since he was a little boy, and he's here today. Welcome, Glenn. <laughs> there he is, and um, good to see you, mate, and I know you're, you're, you're being blessed. Well, uh, time to begin, and this morning's message, as you can see uh, from the title, Will God Remember You? Will God remember you? Well, I want to begin by introducing you. Some of you will know these two individuals, two very special individuals in my life. 
And here they are. These two individuals are my grandparents uh, from my mother's side. My grandparents from my father's side that, that passed away a few years ago. And these are two very special individuals. They live in Melbourne. They were in Macedonia up until 20 years ago. We managed to bring them over to Australia. And they live in Melbourne. And every opportunity I get, I love to spend time with them. Here they are a few years ago celebrating their birthday together. And my grandmother, she's a, a year and a... 10 days, a year and 10 days older than my grandfather, and here they are celebrating their 483rd birthday together. Now, not quite. Grandma was 84 at the time, and Grandpa's 83. And this is my favorite photo of them. Here they are. Isn't that cute? What do you think? Yeah, they still remember how to kiss after all those years. It's just incredible. Praise the Lord for that. Well... A couple of years ago, my grandparents celebrated their 70th wedding anniversary, and that was a real highlight. Um, we, um, yeah, it was something certainly to celebrate. And here we are gathered there at my auntie's place in Melbourne with most of the family. There's about 10 or so family members that were not present there. Uh, they were blessed to have five children, 11 grandchildren, and 13 great-granddaughters. That's right, all girls. (laughs) But the good news is there is another great-grandchild on the way, and word is it's a boy. So the celebrations will kick off. So no longer will I be the golden child being the eldest grandchild. Now there is a new pharaoh in town, and that little boy, he will become the pride and joy when he is born to one of my cousins. This is their wedding certificate written by hand back in 1946, August 9, 1946. Imagine being married for some 72 years. Anyone here married for 70 odd years? Okay, no, no hands have gone up. I won't ask about 80 years. (laughs) As I talk with my grandparents, they share with me what life was like when they got married. They were very young. Grandma was 18, granddad was 17 when they got married. In their village of no electricity, no phones, certainly no internet, no Facebook, no YouTube. And they tell me what a different world it is today than when they were growing up. And it's true. It's true. I haven't been around for very long. I've been around for as long as this church has been here. So you can work that out one day. But times have changed, and they have changed rapidly, rapidly. The world really is a different place than what it was some 50 or more years ago. In fact, this individual who you will recognize, I'm sure many of you, who is it? Do you remember? Yeah, we change them often, so if you don't remember who this is, you'll be be forgiven for not knowing. This is our former Prime Minister, Malcolm Turnbull. On the day before the last election, back in 2016, I was driving to an appointment and he was on ABC radio having an interview the day before the election. It was Friday morning. And I was, I was astounded and intrigued by what he had to say regarding the state of the world. And these are his words. I wrote them down. We are living in uncertain times. We are experiencing unprecedented changes globally at unprecedented speed. Those were the words that came out of his mouth. Sounds like words that were written by a little lady some a hundred or more years ago where she wrote that the last movements would be rapid ones. Indeed, we're living in a day and age when things are happening rapidly before us and in particular in society. Yes, there's a lot of changes in technology, but there are some incredible titanic changes that are taking place right now and have been for the last number of decades in society. The family unit is not what it used to be. Marriage today is not what it used to be. And that is a big deal because as goes the family, so goes society, so goes the world. I find it fascinating that Jesus described our day to a T. Will God remember you? What does that have to do with what we're going to be looking at this morning? Everything. So let's pause and pray before we open up God's word together. Father in heaven, we're about to open up your word and we're about to 
seek to understand not only the times that we are living in, but Father, more importantly, how do we respond? That's the most important question. So I pray that as we open your word, as we open to the words of Jesus and reflect on the times that we are living in, that you will bless our time in your word, for we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 24. Matthew chapter 24, that famous sermon that Jesus preached only days out from his crucifixion. Matthew 24 and 25, one sermon where Jesus spoke of the signs that would precede the destruction of Jerusalem as well as the signs that would precede the second coming. And more importantly, how we ought to prepare, which is the bulk of what Jesus shared in Matthew 24 and 25. Matthew 24 And we want to focus on the last section there dealing with the signs in particular that will precede the coming of Jesus. Jesus has given us a number of signs um, up until this point in Matthew 24. And now we pick it up in verse 36. But of that day and hour, no one knows. And Jesus is speaking of what? He's speaking of his second coming. That's what he has been talking about up until this point. But of that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, but my Father only. And then he goes on. But as the days of who? Of Noah were, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day that Noah entered the ark, and did not know until the flood came and took them all away, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. Then two men will be in the field, one will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding at the mill, one will be taken and the other left. Watch, therefore, for you do not know what hour your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. Therefore you also be what? Ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. And then Jesus goes on and he gives four parables of how we can prepare for his coming. Now there's a lot in this passage that we have just read and I don't have time, we don't have time to unpack it all. But one thing I want us to focus on this morning as we take a look at the story of Noah is how can we be ready? How can we prepare for the coming of Jesus And how can we prepare others for his soon return? And are we living in the days of Noah today? Will God remember you when Jesus returns? Will you be ready? I find it fascinating that of all the signs that Jesus gave to us, this sign is one that stands out that he left for the very end. This sign of the days of Noah is also given to us in the book of Luke. But there in Luke chapter 17, Jesus says, not only as it was in the days of Noah, but also as it was in the days of Lot. So it will be before I come. That's exactly what the earth will be like. That's what society will be like just before I return. What was it like in the days of Lot? We don't have time to go there this morning. You can go home and you can go through and read the story in Genesis. The days of Lot, the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah, where Lot lived and resided with his family. As I read the stories, I discover that there were two primary characteristics that were prevalent there in Sodom and Gomorrah that ultimately brought about the destruction of those two cities. And those two characteristics are violence and rampant sexual immorality. Now let me ask you, are we living in a day and age where violence and rampant sexual immorality in all its forms and phases is rampant today? Yes, indeed. And now we're going to go to the story of Noah, which will be our focus this morning. And discover that we are indeed living in that time today. To a T. Jesus could not have described our day more perfectly by using any other example from history. So let's go together to the story of Noah. Let's go to the book of Genesis. So at the beginning there of your Bibles, the book of beginnings, Genesis chapter 6. Genesis chapter 6. 
And I'm reading from the New King James Version, uh, the Andrews Study Bible, and I share that because that's going to become very significant in just a little bit. Genesis chapter 6 and beginning in verse 1. Notice what we read. Now it came to pass when men began to do what? To multiply on the face of the earth and daughters were born to them. So here the Bible tells us that there was a population explosion in the days of Noah. Do we find that today, yes or no? Yes, indeed we do. And in case you're not sure, let me give you a graph that perfectly illustrates that point. Here is the population of the world from the days of Christ all the way to our day. And you don't need to be a mathematician to realize that since the time of the end, which began in 1798, according to the fulfillment of that 1260-year prophecy, since the time of the end, the last 200 years have seen a exponential escalation in the population of our world, just as it was in the days of Noah. Let's keep reading verse 2. That the sons of God saw the daughters of man, that they were beautiful, and they took wives for themselves of all whom they chose. This is a key text. We're going to come back to this in just a moment. This is a key text in the story of Noah. Why is this such a key text in the story of Noah? It's because of what takes place here, what the author describes here, who is Moses, under inspiration, is what precipitates God making an incredible announcement in the next verse. Now, what does God announce? Let's keep reading. Verse 3. And the Lord said, my what? My spirit shall not strive with man forever, for he is indeed flesh, yet his days shall be 120 years. Let's keep on going. There were giants on the earth in those days, and also afterward, when the sons of God came into the daughters of men, and they, were bore, and they bore children to them. There is that all-important phrase that we're going to look at in just a moment. The sons of God mingling and mixing with the daughters of men. Those were the mighty men who were of old, men of renown. Then the Lord saw that wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth and he was grieved in his heart. So the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, creeping thing and birds of the air, for I am what? Sorry that I have made them. God here announces that he is sorry that he made the human race. And that there is only one way forward. And that is to destroy the human race, to destroy this world and everything that inhabits this earth. What was it that made the heart of God so sorry? Let's keep reading in verse 11. Drop down to verse 11. We're going to come back to verses 8 to 10. The earth also was what? Corrupt before God, and the earth was filled with what? With violence. So God looked upon the earth, and indeed it was corrupt. For all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. And God said to Noah, The end of all flesh has come before me, for the earth is filled with violence through them. And behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Here we have 1,500 years after creation, the state of the world. Violence, wickedness, evil, corruption. Seven times those words appear. Seven tells us very clearly that this was the perfect analysis of our world back in the days of Noah. Well, what ultimately brought about the flood? What was the final straw? I believe the answer is to be found in verse 2 and verse 4. Back to verse 2. The sons of God saw the daughters of men, that they were beautiful, and they took wives for themselves of all whom they chose. What's going on here? There are many that have mistakenly believed that the sons of God here is a reference to angels and that angels came in and they had intimate relations with humanity that brought about giants 
That's not what the Bible is talking about at all. There is no other evidence in Scripture that, that brings us to that conclusion. What's going on here is that the sons of God is a reference to the line of Seth, a reference to the godly, a reference to the faithful men and women of God. And the daughters of men is a reference to the descendants and the line of Cain. You have the sons of God, God's faithful people, coming in and mixing and mingling and intermarrying and joining hands with the unfaithful line of Cain. And so God now no longer has a witness. The witness is dying out. And God looks upon this earth and He's looking for those who are true and pure in heart, those who are faithful to Him, those who have not mixed and mingled with the world. And he finds only one man. And we read of this man in verse 8. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. This is the genealogy of Noah. Noah was a just man, perfect in his generations. Noah walked with God. And Noah begat three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. God found one individual, and that individual's name was Noah. Noah was not willing to conform with the ways of this world. Noah and his family stood true and faithful. God was, was at a point of crisis. The line through which the Messiah would come had almost been extinguished. There was only Noah. And yes, during that 120-year period, there would have been others, I'm sure, Methuselah being one, who died in the year of the flood. And that's another story for another day. God had Noah, who was faithful. He was not willing, not willing to embrace those that were described as beautiful. They were beautiful. It's fascinating. That word there, beautiful, in verse 2, is the same word that is used in Genesis 3 where the Bible says, Eve saw the fruit of the tree that God said, don't go near, certainly don't eat from it, that it was good. Good, beautiful. It's the same word in the Hebrew. Noah was faithful and firm. He was not willing to be lured by that which was beautiful in the eyes of this world. We have Cain and Abel, and we have two lines, the faithful and the unfaithful. We have true worship and false worship that leads to two separate lines, the line and the descendants of Cain and the descendants of Seth. So what ultimately brought about the flood? It was that the faithful had become corrupted that word there corrupt appears three times in genesis 6 11 and 12 i looked up that word and i wanted to know what that word means and this is what the word means it means a number of things and this is what that word corrupt means decay go to ruin cast off corrupt destroy perish utterly waste perverted and corrupt morally rotted that's what the word literally means that was the day of Noah. My friends, today you and I are living in a world that is becoming more and more rotten to the core by the day. Isn't that right? Morally, we're becoming more rotten. Violence is spreading. Today we are entertained by violence. Isn't that right? We eat our popcorn and we sip on our drink as we watch people blowing each other up and then we laugh. Like that's a laughing matter. Today, this is where we have come. Today, God is looking for faithful men and women like Noah. God is looking for individuals who will not marry with this world, regardless of how beautiful the things of this world may appear. God is looking for faithful men and women. And it's interesting to note, it's interesting to note that in verse 13 of chapter 6, the word for destroy, where God says, I will destroy them with the earth, 
is that very word that is used for corrupt. Destroy, corrupt, it's the same Hebrew word. It led me to the conclusion that corruption leads to, what do you think? Destruction. Corruption leads to destruction. Sir Arnold Toynbee, who wrote a masterpiece of uh, the history of civilizations that have arisen to power and prosperity, and then they have come to nothing and been been extinguished. When he was asked, what was one of the main factors that brought about the destruction of these many civilizations? And if I remember correctly, he studied some 20 civilizations that have come and gone. And the statement that I will never forget that he makes is, lawlessness leads to destruction. And that's what we have in the days of Noah. That's what we have in 2018. Today, God is looking for people like Noah. Notice in verse 18, chapter 6 and verse 18, where God makes a promise to Noah, who was faithful, who was just, who was righteous, but I will establish my covenant with you and you shall go into the ark. You, your sons, your wife and your sons' wives with you. God established a covenant with Noah. This is the first time that word appears in the scriptures. This covenant through faith and accepted by obedience. God says to Noah, you can trust me. And Noah did. God today is looking for people like Noah. Didn't Jesus say, as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be, yes, there will be corruption. Yes, there will be, you fill in the blanks, but there will also be faithful men and women in the days of Noah. I love these words written more than a century ago by Ellen White. She writes, and many of you know this statement, the greatest want of the world is the want of men. Let's include women, all. Men who will not be bought or sold. Men who in their utmost, sorry, inmost souls are true and honest. Men who do not fear to call sin by its right name. Men whose conscience is as true to duty as the needle to the pole. Men and women boys and girls who will stand for the right though the what though the heavens fall that is what god is looking forward to more than anything today god is looking for a faithful line of descendants who will not bow the knee to that which is popular yes i know it's popular but if it's not part of god's plan God's faithful at the end of time will not bow the knee. They will remain true. They will remain pure. They will remain faithful to God and to His Word. Will it always make sense? No. Did it make sense to Noah that there was going to be a flood? Absolutely not. It hadn't even rained up until this point in history. No rain, and yet there's going to be a flood that's going to destroy the whole world. Of course, it didn't make sense. But I have discovered in in my short time here on earth that regardless of whether it makes sense to me or not, if God said it, it's the best way forward. Amen? It's the best way forward. It's in my best eternal interest. Not necessarily in my best interest in the here and now, but certainly in my best eternal interest. And there's a big difference between the two. I love what the author of Hebrews has to say about Noah in that chapter of faith, that that hall of faith chapter. By faith, Noah, when warned about things not yet seen, in holy fear built an ark to save his family. By his what? Faith, he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness that is in keeping with what? Faith faith, faith, faith in God, faith in his word, faith in his promises. You and I, if ever there was a time when we needed to put our faith and trust in God, it's today. Amen. It's today. I love these words from that book, Patriarchs and Prophets, page 98, where Ellen White comments 
on Noah's faithfulness in the story there of Noah. Noah's warnings had been rejected by the world, but his influence and example resulted in blessings to his family. As a reward for his faithfulness, there's that word again, and integrity, God saved all the members of his family with him. What encouragement to parental fidelity. If you didn't want to say amen, I'll say it for you. Amen. Parents, I'm a parent. Many of you are parents. What encouragement to being faithful. Is it always easy to not go along with what the kids want? No. Is it always popular? No. What encouragement to parental fidelity. Parents, I want to encourage you to keep praying. Keep being an example. When I talk to parents, and once upon a time, I used to lecture parents on how best to raise their children in order for them to grow up a certain way. I've I've given up on that. Because my kids are now 22 and 19, and when they're 22 and 19, you realize that, yes, you give up on all that lecturing. It's easy to lecture when they're like three and four and five. (laughs) You're an expert. But when I talk to parents who share with me their their heartache, and that's the only way I can describe it, their heartache in seeing their precious children walk away from the Lord, get lured in, get lured in by the beautiful, beautiful things of this world. I share with them there are only two ways forward. And so parents, if you are in that boat, Only two ways forward. Number one is to pray. Pray, pray, pray. God hears parents that pray for their children that have wandered away, have been discouraged or distracted by the deceiver. Pray. And the second thing is to be an example. Be an example. Be an example, a godly example, a loving, kind, godly, faithful example like Noah. Do you know what? The story about Noah, as I discovered from my Andrew Study Bible, and now we get to the title of our message, is all about God's faithfulness to Noah, God's covenant. This is at the very heart of the Noah story. God's faithfulness to Noah is at the very heart of the story. I'm reading through my Andrew Study Bible. And I go to the commentary there, the comments that are offered at the end of each page. And I'm astounded with what I read. Are you ready for this? Have you got your seatbelts on? This is so exciting. Before I share with you, let me just share with you the story of Noah is put together in chiastic form. What kind of form? chiastic form. Now, some of you are thinking, what on earth is a chiasm or what is chiastic form? Well, it's a Hebrew literary device where the most important part of the story is right there in the bullseye, right there in the very center of the story. That's why I've got the bullseye up there as an illustration. We all know that the highest score on 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 an archery board is where? In the very center. And we call that the what? The bullseye, we call that the bullseye. Well, guess what? The story of Noah has a bullseye, as I discovered after reading my Bible. And here it is. This is the the story of Noah from Genesis chapter 6 all the way through Genesis chapter 8, those three chapters. You can have a look that the first part of the story connects with the last part of the story. Noah's righteous character in a violent context The last part, Noah sacrifices. God instructs Noah to build an ark, and the remnant enters the ark. Second last part of the story, God instructs Noah to leave the ark with the remnant. The beginning of the deluge, the waters dry up. The waters rise, the waters recede. Guess what is the very heart, guess what the bullseye of the story of Noah is? It's in Genesis 8 verse 1. God remembered Noah. Hallelujah, someone said. That's the very heart of the story. It's not about the evil. It's not about the violence. It's not about the wickedness. It's not even about the flood. It's that God remembered Noah. 
and those that were on board in the boat. God remembered Noah. I discovered that this same structure is also found when we're looking at the timeline or the time periods that are mentioned in the story of Noah. Once again, from the Andrews Study Bible. Here you have it, and here it's even more clear for those that like numbers. Seven days of waiting for the rain at the beginning, at the very end. Seven days of waiting to send the second bird. Seven days of waiting for the flood. Second last part, seven days of waiting to send the first bird. 40 days of flood. 40 days of waiting for dry land. 150 days of the water rising. 150 days of the water decreasing. What's the center? What's the bullseye? What do you think? And they weren't sure. God remembered Noah. There it is again. My dear friends, will God remember you? He will if you choose to put your faith and trust in the same God that Noah put his faith and trust in. God will remember his faithful people. He will remember those that have not bowed the knee to that which is popular, but instead have stood up for that which is right, though the heavens fall. I found it fascinating that when I was looking at the story of Lot and Sodom and Gomorrah, this is what I read. Here are the words, Genesis nineteen twenty nine. So when God destroyed the cities of the plain, he did what? He remembered Abraham. And he brought who? Lot out of the catastrophe that overthrew the cities where Lot had lived. God remembered Abraham. God remembered Lot as he remembered Noah. God is a God who keeps his promises. God is a God who is faithful. God is a God who will remember you. He will remember me if we put our faith and trust in him and his covenant. Or will God remember you when he comes? Is this really a story that encapsulates more than the people of Noah's day, more than Lot and those that chose to abide by God's love and law in his day? Indeed it is. I looked up that word remembrance. Remember. And guess where I found it? Last book of the Old Testament. Go there with me. Last book of the Old Testament, the book of Malachi. Malachi, just before Matthew, last book of the Old Testament, Malachi chapter 3. Malachi chapter 3, notice how the Old Testament ends. Malachi chapter 3, reading in verse 16. Malachi chapter 3 and verse 16, Then those who feared the Lord spoke to one another, and the Lord listened and did what? And heard them. So a book of what? Remembrance was written before him for those who do what? Fear the Lord and those who do what? Meditate on his name. There is a book of remembrance. Now, does God need a book of remembrance to remember you and me? No. This is, this is an illustration, a metaphor, if you like, that God is using to help us understand that those that put their faith and trust in God will not be forgotten. They will be remembered. It reminds me, it reminds me of the words of that one that was on the side of Jesus. And in his final moments here on earth, he looked into the face, into the bloody face of Jesus Christ. And he cried out, Lord, you know what he cried out, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And what did Jesus say? When I come, my friend, when I come, my dear son. I'm telling you the truth today. You will be with me in paradise. I'm giving you the promise. I will remember you. I will remember you. Noah walked with God, the Bible tells us. He was a preacher of righteousness. He believed by faith in the word of God. He was a man who lived in the judgment hour. 
He was a man who was given the message to prepare a people for the soon coming storm. Do you and I live in a time? Do you and I live in a time when God is calling a people who are living in the judgment hour, who are preparing for a storm such as the world has never seen? Do you and I live at a time when God is calling a people, a group of knowers, to prepare the way, to prepare the world for what's about to take place? Are you and I living in such a time? Will God have a people on planet earth like Noah? Surely he must. Because Jesus did say, as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be before the Son of Man returns. And yes, there was evil and there was violence and there was wickedness and there was corruption and there was all that as we have discovered. But there was also a man who walked with God, a man who was faithful, a man who was righteous, a man who would not taste of that which was beautiful in the eyes of the world, but one who remained true and faithful to God. As we seek to land, let's go and take a look at this group that God describes at the end of time. Go over with me to Revelation chapter 14. Revelation chapter 14. Revelation 14. And by the way, by the way, the book of Revelation is structured in a chiastic form from chapter 1 to chapter 22. And guess where the heart of the book of Revelation is? Revelation chapter 12, 13, and 14. And so let's go to Revelation chapter 14. And we're going to just pick it up in verse 1. Then I looked, and behold, a lamb standing on Mount Zion, and with him 144,000, having his father's name written on their foreheads. And I heard a voice from heaven like the voice of many waters and like the voice of a loud thunder. And I heard the sound of a harp, sorry, and I heard the sound of harpers playing their harps. They sang as it were a new song before the throne, before the four living creatures and the elders. And no one could learn that song except the 144,000 who were redeemed from the earth. That sounds very much like the story of Noah to me, doesn't it? Now let's find out the character of these people that have the Father's name written in their foreheads. Verse 4. These are the ones who are not what? Not what? Not defiled with who? With women. For they are what? They are virgins. These are the ones who follow the Lamb wherever He goes. These were redeemed from among men, being first fruits to God and to the Lamb. Here, my friends, we have conclusive evidence that God will have a people on planet Earth at the end of time that will not be defiled. God will have sons of God and, do- and, and, and daughters of God at the end of time who will not go in to the daughters of men, who will not mix and mingle with the ways and the things of this world, but instead they remain undefiled, they remain true and pure. They remain virgins in the spiritual sense. They remain true and faithful to the bridegroom, Jesus Christ. Amen? God will have a people on planet earth, according to the book of Revelation, who follow the Lamb wherever He goes. That very much sounds to me another interpretation of the words, and Noah walked with God. These individuals walk with the Lamb. They walk with Jesus. Verse 5, And in their mouth was found no what? No deceit. No corruption, no mingling, no mixing, for they are without fault before the throne of God. Will God have a people like this on planet earth? Yes, he will. And then in the next verses, we have the, we have the message that they preach. We have God's final message of love to the world, the everlasting gospel. That needs to go to all the world, to every nation, kindred, tongue and people. Declaring in a loud voice, fear God and give glory to Him for the hour of His judgment has come and worship Him who made the heavens and the sea and the springs of water. And another voice crying out, Babylon the great is fallen, is fallen. That great city that made all the nations drunk with their abominations. 
And then that final message, warning against worshipping the beast and his image and receiving his mark. Will God have a people? Yes, he will. They are described in verse 12 of Revelation 14. Here is the patience of who? The saints. Here are those who keep the commandments of God and have the faith of Jesus. And why are they preaching this message? That's because this is the end time. This is the last message that needs to go to all the world. This is it. There is no other message. How do we know that? Because the verses that follow describe the second coming of Jesus where John says, Then I looked, and behold, a white cloud, and there was one that sat on the cloud, the Son of Man, coming with a sharp sickle in his hands. Time to reap the harvest. Time to separate the grain from the grapes, the save from the lost. God will have a people on planet earth, my friends, who will be sharing this final message of his love. And this is, make no mistake, this is God's final message of love to the world. The three angels' messages of Revelation 14. For Jesus said the gospel needs to go to all the world as a witness to all the nations and then the end will come. And the gospel is here in an end time context described in these three angels' messages. Now this is so important that the servant of the Lord that God raised up to lead and guide his final end time movement had these words to share. In a special sense... Seventh-day Adventists have been set in the world as watchmen and light bearers. To them has been entrusted the last warning for a perishing world. On them is shining wonderful light from the Word of God. They have been given a work of the most solemn import, the proclamation of the first, second, and third angel's messages. There is no other work of so great importance. They are to allow how much? Nothing else to absorb their attention. The most solemn truths ever entrusted to mortals have been given to us to proclaim to the world the proclamation of these truths is to be our work the world is to be warned and god's people are to be true to their trust that has been committed to them amen this is why god raised up this church my friends this is not another church there are enough churches in the world to confuse people this is the church that god raised up for such a time as this to prepare the world for the second coming of Jesus. This is a movement, a prophetic movement. Those that are part of this movement ought to be the most humble, most loving, most kind, most faithful of God's people that are on this planet. My friends, God is calling you and I God is calling you and I to be part of his end time movement. Will God remember you? Will he remember me? Will he remember those that we are praying for? I want to finish off. And now we are landing with what I experienced last Saturday. There at the Hamilton Church. Had the opportunity of go th to go there and I saw this gentleman here. You can see up there on the screen. Ron. He was baptized. I met him at a program that I ran earlier on there at the Hamilton Church. And um, this next to him is Jordan, a Bible worker. And she was knocking on his door one day. And she met this gentleman. She didn't know him, never met him before. They got into conversation. And he shared with her point blank that he was not interested in God and not interested in religion. So what do you do when someone says to you, I'm not interested in God and I'm certainly not interested in religion? What do you do as a Bible worker? Well, unless you're Jordan, you do what? You say, have a lovely day and you walk away. But not Jordan, not Jordan. That's okay. If you have no interest in God, you have no interest in religion, would something on health interest you? Oh, certainly. I'm very interested in health. Do you have something to share? I certainly do. And so Jordan turned up the following week with some stuff on health. And she began sharing with him week by week. She was sharing with him on health. The day came when she exhausted her health file and she shared with Ron, that's the end of the road, my friend. I have nothing more to share with you on health. All I have left are Bible studies from the Bible. And you said you weren't interested in God. You weren't interested in religion. 
But you see, my friend, Jordan had been praying for Ron. She had been praying for Ron all this time that the Holy Spirit would bring conviction. And when she shared that with Ron, Ron said to her, Isn't a man able to change his mind? And so the next week, they began Bible studies. And here is Ron getting baptized into Jesus Christ and into his remnant church. The Holy Spirit, my friend, can do what you and I can never do in a million years. The Holy Spirit is able to mold and and soften hard hearts who have no time for God, no time for religion. God wants to not only remember you, but he wants to remember all those that he through you wants to lead to his kingdom. As my friend Ron, and he'll forever be an inspiration to me to never turn away from someone who doesn't believe in God, has no time for religion, never turn away. My friends, the day is coming. The day is coming when Jesus will come. And it's going to be soon. I don't know how soon. It's not for us to know. But I believe it's near even at the doors. When Jesus comes, will he remember you? Will he remember not only you, but those that through his Holy Spirit and through your love and sacrifice, he will also welcome into his kingdom? My friends, as we sing this beautiful hymn together, as we sing this beautiful hymn together, when the roll is called up yonder, it is my earnest prayer, my earnest prayer, that you will choose to be one of those that is used by God in these final end times as his ambassador. May God bless you. Amen.